You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and today we're talking about transforming through trials. This is a bonus episode because I'm also sharing an episode today that is not as kid-friendly, and I wanted you to have something meaningful and legacy-oriented on this Memorial Day, or if you're listening afterwards, just in general, to share with your family and to enjoy because I really think that one of the greatest parts about marriage is that we get to leave a legacy in our communities and in our families. And yes, intimacy is important to all of that, but we're going to leave that for the other episode. So if you need that episode, that's also being released today. It's a double for your pleasure. But I want to really talk about some beautiful ways that you can leave a legacy for your family. As some of you know that have been listening for a while, I've actually lost both of my parents in their 70s, but because they had me late, I lost them rather young. My mom had her stroke when I was 21 and our world was forever changed right after that young age. And my dad, it was only more in the past few years when he got cancer and passed, but it really is something that I tried to think about every day are both of my parents and to really embrace the legacies that they left for me. One of the most beautiful legacies that they left for me was their love story, which was tremendous to use one of my dad's words. And I'm going to share a little bit of their story with you today on one of his fun Facebook posts, and you'll really see his eight in that. But I'm also sharing some tips for you guys to transform through your trials. This is straight out of my relate program for marriage. It's my basic marriage repair program. And you can always grab the whole Relate book if you want to do that program on your own with your spouse at reflectionscc.com. But we're going to go through one of the actual chapters today. So you're going to get to really put that on and try it out for size because the sad but true part of marriage is that sometimes we really eventually we realize in marriage that if we're together long enough, we're going to be experiencing many trials together. But as Glenda said recently, when we did our trauma training for pastors and coaches and counselors, it's really important that you remember marriage is a very healing space for traumas. So it's so cool how God designed marriage to to even heal our traumas. Truly, when we empathize and validate and get to know each other's traumas and to feel safe to share them. So today, I'm going to be giving you some very cool tips about that. And that way, you guys can really have a great legacy. I'm also super excited because I'm sharing my husband's legacy guide. He's actually got a website called thelegacyhelper.com where Wes and his best buddy, William, and I shouldn't say best buddy. I know guys don't like that. And he rolls his eyes when I say best friends. He's like, do not say that to guys. He's just my good bud, you know, but he's his best friend, local best friend. He has several best friends from across the country, but really, really cool that the two of them started a business and ministry together and they have created books and Williams is for sale on Amazon. And my husband's, like I said, is actually a freebie. So you can actually grab his anytime and he doesn't have big plans or dreams beyond just blessing people with it. He's not as entrepreneurial as I am. He's a PA. He loves seeing his patients in family practice. He cares for everybody. He treats his patients that are elderly like, he sees patients of all ages, but the elderly, he, we were talking on a walk last night, in fact, and he's like, I can't help but treat them just like my parents and grandparents and with that utmost care. And it's just part of who I am. And he's a one wing too. So you know that when he writes a legacy book, it's detailed, it's good. It's gone through a lot of friends reviews. I've reviewed it and we've really 
you know, really not done much. Wes already was phenomenal at putting together a way for people to honor their story and to have meaningful ways to share their journey with their children in a workbook and it's PDF. So I'll share that at the end too. I'm excited that this works perfectly well with this Memorial Day episode, but I promised I'd start with a story. And so one of the most important things my parents have done to leave us a love legacy of their romance story is that they've left a lot of written remnants. And some have been more bold remnants than others. In fact, my dad wrote an entire Facebook novella on Facebook. Yes, I said that. And it was full of sometimes a little bit graphic imagery. And this is, you know, 70 plus. So he was in his older years, but very lucid to the very end of his life, as I've shared. And so it's, you know, that's not even making an excuse for him. It's just kind of telling you more about his character that he really wants people to feel as an eight, his view was, I don't want to censor everything. This is the way it is. This is the way it was. And we're not going to put any kind of coding on it, but we're like, dad, this is Facebook. So when you share your love story, can you please create some boundaries? But what was so funny is in-laws, my sister's family, my family, my dad's pastor, everybody was wrapped with attention over watching this. My best friend even had a part in it. And it was just one of those crazy experiences where we're like, it's still up. To this day, it's still up. But we really do love that they shared so much of their life together and the poetry that they've written to each other. My husband put that in his book a little bit, some pictures of that. But we have so many amazing poems that they wrote to each other from the most passionate poems. I have lots of journals from my mom talking about all of the details too, but she was very nine-ish and just very like, oh, we did this today. And, you know, she was very sweet about it. But, and I don't mean, (laughs) I shouldn't say nine-ish because there's so many nines with an eight wing or nines with the one wing that are probably not like that. But, but she was very sweet and innocent as well as just bold to say, hey, this is what we did today. And it was fun. So that's what I mean when I say that. But she really had a way with words, as did he. And so I'm going to share just a funny little story from him about how they met. And this is not the long version. We have that too. They've preserved the long version legacy, but this is the short version. What really happened on August 4th, 1966, and this is the day he met my mom. He saw her getting on a bus in New York City and the rest is history, but I'll read you this little segment. He said, after reading the lovely poem sent to me yesterday, I began to reflect on the meeting of April 16th, 1966. This was not what my children and grandchildren wanted to hear. That two-hour bus ride from Boston to New York has been recounted many times to family and even strangers who were amused and listened. Though I will maintain our privacy, I can shed some light on that date. We awoke that morning in a hotel in West Springfield, Pennsylvania, where the lady innkeeper had given us a previous night and we had arrived tense and anxious. A few suggestions about accommodations were made to us and she was quite considerate. The next morning we set out for Flint, Michigan, where I had planned to marry Nancy. We had been to Flint the prior month, but Nancy had hesitated and on that occasion I left Flint with no bride, my darling balking that time. Then she visited her family in Rockland, Maine to consult while I remained in my room at Newton, Massachusetts, and she debated her fate. Finally, she returned to her rental cottage in Ipswich, Mass., where a few days later I met her and began the return trip to Flint. It was probably my idea to stop in West Springfield the previous night, which may have been a crucial decision. 
I drove my 61 Chevy, leaving her 1962 Chevy in Ipswich, where I said this young Puritan teacher rented a cottage with her friend Faith, who had been her companion on that April 1966 trip from Boston to Washington, D.C., where they had attended a young Republican gathering before returning to Massachusetts, where I began dating Nancy Jean. We reached Flint at 3.30 p.m. and drove immediately to the courthouse, where after some argument, we were married by a female justice of the peace with my class ring from the University of Detroit and then drove the two miles to 838 West Hemphill Road to announce to my mother that we had just been married and that I only had $10. (laughs) So that is my parents' love story in a nutshell. And like I said, there's a really long version where he talks about his last duchess and what movie stars she reminded him of and how he was tired of the Catholic girls who had turned their noses up. But this was his chance to date a Republican. I don't really. It's so detailed. It is so fun of a story. And he really does give her queenly status, as you guys know, who have eight spouses. And really just as much as they did have their fights, and they sure did have their big fights over many years, they really did have a big love too. And that's what marriage research tells us. Sometimes people have a big love story. Sometimes people have a fun love story. There's the twos and threes out there that I tell you guys. I call them the cute couple. But this is a couple that I have as a legacy and a treasure, even though it's also a part of my grief experience. So a lot of the time, one of the ways that I process my grief about my parents is I just take some time to go through old notes and treasured mementos from them. And that's really helpful. And if you've ever had a loss with a parent or a sibling or a child, you know how important it is to recount the memories, to think about the good times and bad, to really, as years go on, I think we think about the good times a little bit more, but we really have to grieve and we have to go through those five Elizabeth Kubler-Ross stages of a relationship And we really have to, it's everybody, even coaches and counselors who have done their work many years prior, I've always lamented this, that we still have to go through each and every stage too. But you have to realize that in marriage, when I said you're going to have losses, you have to say, okay, how are we going to make something beautiful out of those losses, but also still really honor them and allow ourselves time and space to grieve. So like I said, one way to do that is through reading and writing legacy. Another way to do that is really through just first honoring that there's been a loss in your lives because a lot of the spouses I work with, they say, I don't really think my spouse gets it that I had a loss. And I think that can take spouses time to catch up because until you've really had a lot of losses, sometimes you don't feel it personally. Or a lot of people tell me my five recovered very quickly, for instance. I hear that a lot about five spouses. But it's just different ways of processing. For fives, they've learned long ago that probably won't be functional. Maybe even precognizant learned this. So they're not even aware of when it started for them. But they just grieve differently and they often grieve more short term. But they care just as deeply. And I really want you guys to understand that you can't expect that your spouse is going to grieve in the same way as you. But what you can expect is through the process of losses and mourning, that you need to respect your spouse's style of grieving. So that's one of the main things I do in the Transform Through Trials section of my Relate book is I talk about what are some typical grief experiences that people have, and it could be things that I've mentioned, but it could also be instead of miscarriages or deaths, which are obviously miscarriages are deaths too, um, it can be things like even a bankruptcy that really made you guys feel a lot of grief. Or it can be things like losing a job that was very important to you. 
Um, it really could be things like that that you don't sense as a grief, but even moving away, even just dealing with not having friends, it's hard to move away and start over again. And sometimes somebody has grief because they lost a part of their body. And I mean that sometimes they have a hysterectomy or they go through a dark season because they hit a new stage of life and it's a midlife crisis. And you've got to understand that grief comes in all shapes and sizes and looks differently for everyone. So the very most important thing I want you to remember from this episode is that you really have to have compassion on your spouse for whatever they're grieving and to recognize it as grief. If they say it's grief, it is grief to them. And then the next thing you do is you really try to talk with your spouse about what it is that helps them most. And I shared a cool legacy and I shared that my way sometimes is to read through papers and allow tears to flow or perhaps even for you, it's doing things like that or listening to a song. Another way people experience healing from their grief issues is they keep a journal and they talk about that person in that journal. Another thing you can do is in fact, my daughter just found one of my mom's journals that I didn't know existed the other day, and it was so precious. My nine did. We were going through my dad's classic books, and we were choosing some summer reads, and then we found a journal, and he slept with one of her journals by his bed, and it was just so precious. I don't know if that was this one, but it was just such a wonderful recounting. And sometimes we have things we don't want people to read after we pass. And she has had a couple writings like that too that I don't read. But these are things that she left for me. So I really enjoy them. And you can write a journal or you can read in a journal. I also want you to really just another way to process grief if it's not your own as much and you're you're dealing a little bit better than your spouse is with it, or I should say differently versus better, then be a good listener. That might be what you really love and need. And both of you probably need that so that you can stay close. Another thing is to remember the timeline of grief, that it can take six months or longer. I usually say after the first month of losing somebody, it starts to be bearable. And after a year, it starts to get a lot more bearable. But those first holidays without people are difficult. It took me five years actually with my mom on Mother's Day for me to really really be able to have a good Mother's Day. And of course, I integrated in knowing she was part of me now, but it's still lost. So be generous and gentle on yourself and your spouse when you have something that you're memorializing that means something to you. Of course, we know anniversary dates can be very triggering to people. So try to be sensitive about that. Be a good listener. Eat foods that will help you to thrive if you're going through grief so that you're not just feeling like, okay, I had a loss. Now I'm going to just plow through the McDonald's or I'm skipping all my work workouts. Make sure you're thinking, I want to take care of myself so that I can be great for the next gen and be a good example and I can thrive even though right now is a hard season and I'm having some take I'm having to take some time to watch videos and slideshows and read the books and memorialize or maybe write poetry, whatever you like to do. Each type, I can't really go through types on this one because everybody likes to do something different. But I think for all of us, we need to make sure that we stay connected to our spouse. And like I said, the most important way you can stay connected is letting them know you get it, that you're with them. Even if you don't feel the same way exactly, that's okay. Just be with them and what they're feeling. 
And you can also, if it's both of you grieving, ask your church and friends to come around you and be bold, even if you have to email it or text it. I know it was so helpful for me after losses when some of my best friends in the neighborhood offered to take me out and understood that I was becoming more introverted, at least for a season, and just really helped me to feel like there was not as many expectations. My whole counseling staff, when my father passed a couple years ago, gave me a big, beautiful plant. And it was so meaningful to me to get those symbols and tokens. So make sure that you get that to one another if you're not the one in grief, but you have another couple friend or family friend that is grieving and has lost somebody because when we honor one another's not just joys, but also their losses, it's really a more authentic relationship. So you can't have one without the other. You really can't. Um, My husband loves to make videos for people. They're tribute videos. When somebody passes, he makes the most beautiful tributes. In fact, my husband's good friend was watching my mom's tribute video the other day, and he told him, I didn't even know her, but I was moved to tears. And I always tell my husband, one day when you have more time, you should really do this for a lot of people because it's blessed me so much. And he does them in three segments where he takes past experiences with that person's life and growing up in pictures and videos. And then he took that from my mom, her growing up years through college and then her season as a mother and then a whole song and, and segment as a wife. So these are ways and he couldn't connect with me around my grief when my mom passed in other ways. It was really a difficult time in our marriage, the most difficult we've had because she was in many ways motherly to him too. So he was losing her and comforting me and we had really little kids. But he was really good about that. He was able to love from that angle. And that's a gift that's kept on giving over the years. So I've learned to appreciate him. For that, another person's example I can give you that I've shared in one of our far earlier podcasts was Sharon Otis when she went through cancer and she and I wrote Just Your Type together. She's a wonderful doctor in our area. And she said, you know, I was not able to get bathed by my husband. And she wrote this right in the book. He was really not able to do certain things for me as a nine, but she said he was able to do these other things and that really blessed me and helped me. And I had friends to help me through this time of grief and loss for us as a couple. And she's a two and she's very positive. They have a phenomenal marriage and she really was able to say, yeah, that wasn't his thing and I understood it. So do give your spouse some grace if you're like, I need to fit you in this one little part of my life in this particular way. That's called control and it's not gonna work. So I want you to absolutely make sure that as you're thinking about grief and losses over the years, like I said, if you're married long enough, it will happen, that you really are sensitive to what your spouse needs and that you understand that they're not gonna be at their best in those days when they're feeling like, oh man, my world's crashed around me, my life's changed. And if you say, wow, I really expect you to celebrate my birthday really heavily, even though it just came a week after you lost somebody or that you really are crying a lot lately, you know, make sure that you really don't look at that in a vacuum because we can tell people the stories we want them to hear and we can get support from our friends. For example, imagine if my husband had a significant loss and I was telling my friend, all about his life and how he wasn't being kind to me, but I was forgetting to mention that he had a loss. And it would be so sad, right? Because they would not have the context for why he was treating me differently that week or month or year. But if I said, you know, Wes has been really difficult. He's been snapping. He's been more in his one self. He's been 
really off, but I do wonder if this has anything to do with him losing a really important figure in his life. Of course, my friend would be like, yes, of course, he just lost somebody huge a month ago. So you have to understand the stories we tell ourselves and others. Really be careful about that. Don't gossip to your friends about your spouse if you don't want them to say bad things. And really remember to do the same with your extended family because when you have grief and loss, extended family will always have that survival of the fittest part of them. And many of them will rise above it and really love your spouse the same. I've heard both sides so many times over so many years that I can't catalog perfectly here, but I can say the propensity is for people to love their own kin more. So I want you to make sure that you give your extended family, especially if you share negatives about your spouse, many, many, many good things about your spouse too, so that they're not always thinking the worst. So that narrative is important. And then especially as we think about memorials and grief and loss, I just want you to make sure you remember that your spouse is so important to consider how they're experiencing grief and loss. And then for you to take some time to really process how you best can get through the season, and then tell each other. Tell each other what your needs are. Be open about that. Don't expect them to know exactly what you're thinking, and you guys will be okay. And as Glenda says, you guys will even help each other through the trauma. It's been so deepening to our relationship to walk through the fiery trials together. And I'm really thankful for God giving me somebody to walk through them with. It's been a joy to have family to process with and to remember with. And It's a very special thing to remember wonderful people and to remember the best about them. And I know even after we lost our father, the four siblings, we gathered together, joined hands and prayed that we would carry on the best, leave the worst, but carry on the best of our dad. That's really a great way that you can leave a great legacy for your next gen is to walk through that refiner's fire to make sure that you leave old patterns that are unhealthy or parts of your parents or grandparents or old bosses that you don't want to take on and take on the best of them. Take it on and make it even more amazing. That's what they wanted for you and that's what you want for you. And I also, like I said, I wanted to leave you that reminder of my husband's free workbook. It's called Game Plan and it's the subtitle is Be Ready to Pass Your Torch Onto the Next Generation, and you can find that at LegacyHelper.com, and it's just such a fun way to think about how you can gather up your life legacy and make sure that you're passing it on well, or you could even just take the link to the book download and give it to your parents and say, this is a great way that I want to learn more about you guys, because we want to know your stories and to have these fun ways to think about you guys, not just later, but now, because it'll definitely have lots of tips for you too about enjoying people in the here and now. So love you guys and hope you have such a great day. This was a special mini episode and I hope you got something great from it. Bye-bye.